The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Hey, we're back with you from the Peppa Studios in the Gulf Coast of Florida. How you doing, Dr. Fleck? Ready to go. Ready to go. You know, it's really funny. I had a friend over the other day and she likes dogs, but she doesn't have a dog. So it was really interesting. Hammy pooped on the floor. And the, and the funny thing is, although my dogs get walked at least two times a day and have access to the backyard multiple times, Hammy pooped on the floor, kind of like diarrhea or whatever. You know, he kind of grew up in the suburbs. All my other dogs grew up in the city. So they're used to going out on a leash to go in the yard. And she made such a big deal of it. Oh, my God, what are you going to do? And I just put my little I have a little carry kit, you know, like a bucket that I keep the cleaning supplies in Mm because I have special, you know, disinfectant supplies. And I just pulled it out from under the sink, cleaned up the poop, threw it out, threw it out in the garbage can outside the house so it wouldn't smell. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I just don't it's like kind of like a baby. You know, you got a baby. It poops. You clean the diaper, you wash its butt. She made like such a big deal out of it. And I was just like, it's a dog. You know, they it's like they vomit. They 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 poop on the floor. Sometimes they pee on the floor. Sometimes sometimes they can't hold it. Sometimes they're she made such a big deal of it. And I thought, you know, for all the love I get from the dog, what's a little pee poop in urine? Right. Absolutely. I just thought it was really it made me realize when I look at people now, are there dog people or are there non-dog people i don't know 75 percent of the families have pets so so there's few maybe there's a few exceptions yeah i mean i just thought it was just kind of crazy well anyway how do you guys feel let me know tweet and or post to the pet buzz social media channels or send me an email to team at the pet buzz but now Let's kick off the show with the weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, director of communications for the Westminster Kennel Club, Gail Miller-Beischer talks about the upcoming 145th annual dog show. How about that? Three in seg three, horse racing author and secretary.com journalist Steve Haskin joins us to discuss Triple Crown trackside news. And two, in this portion of the show, I dish about celebrities like Dallas Cowboy Ezekiel Elliott, who went to Ohio State. Yes, he did. Bravo's Andy Cohen and Tiger King's Jeff Lowe. And I talk about when to be concerned when your dog is vomiting. And in segment one, Wesley Moore, owner of Alligator Alley, joins us to discuss how to protect yourself and your pooch from an alligator attack. So, Wesley, thanks for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. My pleasure. My pleasure. So talk to us about alligators. Well, you know, we can start talking about, you know, the history of the American alligator. Uh, You know, we're looking at an animal that that fossil records indicate um, is around five million years old. Um, So, you know, alligators have been in walking North America, you know, long before uh, we ever really showed up, started causing problems. And, you know, here lately, you know, of course, alligators are all over the news because when, when you consider you know, the human population and, you know, it, it, it's, you know, our desire to move to the coast and, and move to warmer climates. I always say that, you know, we used to call places creeks and rivers and bayous. Uh, now it's referred to as waterfront property. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, we're coming in contact with these animals 
Um, not because they want to come in contact with us, but because they're just kind of running out of space, so to speak. You know, it's really kind of interesting because I was I, I was I learned about this new phrase called an ambush predator Are alligators ambush predators. Uh, an alligator is an ambush predator, and it has to do with the way the animal is designed. You know, an alligator, all of the muscles that operate his jaws, uh, which are, you know, his his instruments for making a living uh, are off to the side and, and underneath. Um, and so what you have is you have an extremely low profile. Um, compare that with people. All of our muscles that operate our jaws sit on top of our head. So, you know, we have, you know, two legs. Um, and if we were in the water, we would look like gigantic bowling balls. So, again, having all of those muscles sit off to the side and underneath, you know, you can take an alligator that's 12 feet and 500 pounds. He needs 18 inches of water. Um, he can only expose a 16th of an inch of the top of his head. Um, they judge distance very well. Um, and so, being such massive animals, they also produce very little disturbance in the water. Um, so the animal is designed to be an ambush predator. Um, low profile, um, that's that's probably one of their greatest assets. And I will say they are successful well over 50% of the time. He's a king of the swamp is what we like to call him. So where do most of the alligator attacks take place? In the U.S. Florida and Louisiana uh, are the two states with the two greatest alligator populations. Now, there are nine states that claim viable alligator populations all the way from, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, uh, and Oklahoma. But Florida, when you look at the human population, uh, I think Florida now is, what, 21 million people. Um, Florida has 1.4, 1.5 million alligators. Um, and you take a climate which is warm predominantly year round. Um, you know, alligators, you know, their body cannot process food when we start getting into those mid fifties. And so some of these other states like Alabama, um, you know, our, our climate is, uh, it's not gonna be suitable for an alligator to eat in December, January, February. You start talking South Florida, where it never gets below the, the mid seventies. You combined a year round ability to eat you know, it's um, interesting that you say that because um, I've started looking at some of the alligator attacks over mm -hmm. a period of years in Florida. And in the beginning, it was kind of like, you know, it was a lot of teens, you know, teens hanging out on the water on a boat, you yeah. know, going out in the water. And then you, now you see a lot of older people like on that waterfront property that you talked Correct. about, the highest Correct. price value. Uh, now we're seeing them on the golf course. And we just saw this week a guy fishing. And as he was fishing, here comes an alligator running. And those those suckers run fast. But lately, we've been seeing a lot of these dog. So talk to us about how pet owners need to be careful and, and what, you know, what they should do if their dog gets attacked. You know, first of all, alligators are very good at uh, associations like patterns. Um, so I tell people, I said, if you're going to, you know, walk your dog close to a water source, particularly, you know, like South Florida, don't do it every day at the same time, uh, because alligators are very good at, at, at putting that time and food association together. So I tell people, vary it up. Uh, secondly, you know, be vigilant, um, you know, before you go down to the water, uh, you know, with a, with a small pet on a, on a leash or without a leash, you know, look around, see if anything is out of place. Uh, stay away from areas where there might be cover up next to the water, like aquatic vegetation, lily pads, hydrilla, things that that animal can use as camouflage, things like logs, tall grass. So it takes a lot of common sense just to go, 
you know, if the area looks like it might contain an alligator in the state of Florida, it more than likely does. So what if your dog is, is attacked? Uh, what should you do? How do you fight back? What shouldn't we do? The, the shouldn't we do, you know, is, is one of the situations. It, let's say if it's a large, and I've seen some of the videos on TV, you know, people rescuing their dog from an alligator. And the alligator is typically small. Um, you know, some of the videos I've seen, the alligators are three to four feet. A three to four foot alligator, from a bite force perspective, it's very similar to ours. Um, it takes an alligator about six to seven feet where they start getting that four to 500 pound bite. If it's an extremely large alligator, we're talking 10, 11, 12 feet, um, you're comparing a bite force of close to 2,000 pounds. So that's, that's the equivalent of uh, having a car parked on top of you. So if an alligator of, of that magnitude happens to get something, put up as much resistance as you can. I, I always say, if you're gonna get your pet down there by the water and, and have a leash on them, that way you can maintain. If you see something, try to get that animal back. Uh, unfortunately though, the only way an alligator that's a large alligator is gonna let go is if he wants to. Um, I mean, there's nothing physically that you are going to do to make him let go. Um, and unless you can bench press a car, you are not able to pry his jaws off. I, you know, now I'm going to think twice if anything happens, because, you know, like I said, those videos, they lead you to believe you can get out there and pound it out like the guy holding the cigar in his mouth and, you know, doing all that stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, everyone, that was Wesley Moore, owner of Alligator Alley, discussing how to protect your pet and your dog from an alligator attack. You can learn more about Wesley and Alligator Alley by visiting GatorAlleyFarm.com. Up next, celebrity pet news and flex facts. And you know what? Stay away from them skaters. <laughs> You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. 
Teva Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Teva Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TevaPet.com. Teva Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz. As you know, the show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Sometimes you just have to give up your dog. And, you know, we talked about that a week ago. And that's just what Bravo Andy Cohen had to do with his beagle, Watcha, who showed sign of aggressions toward his newly adopted son. But, you know, what I th- one of the things I love about Andy, he recently posted an Instagram story of a reunion with him and Watcha. And he noted at the time of the adoption, when he gave Watcha up to another family, the two really had rescued each other. But when he got his son, and like I said, the dog showed signs of aggression, the beagle, uh, it was time to find another home for Watcha. But it's nice that Andy still cares and loves him so much. And he always refers to his Watcha as his number one, his number one son. Okay. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's gonna take long. You got the time. And now what you've been waiting for, Flex Facts. Dr. Flex, what is the topic for today? Causes of dog vomit and what they mean. Really? Yep, it's not <laughs> unusual for dogs to throw up. Obviously, we've all seen it from our, our pets. In fact, there are many reasons why your pet might vomit, and some are more concerning than others, as I tell my clients every day. So I want to tell you if your dog's vomiting, is if it's serious or not. Vomiting, it's such a yucky, smelly subject, Mm. but I guess we got to do it. Okay, so what causes a dog to regurgitate or vomit? Well, first you need to understand the difference between vomiting and regurgitation. Okay. When a dog regurgitates, the coughing up material typically consists of like undigested food, water, and saliva. It is often expelled in a cylindrical shape since regurgitation material is usually the food or a matter in the esophagus. You know, it's funny, but you're thinking when you when you're talking about that, I'm thinking of hairballs. Yep, that's exactly what the I, way it's yep. the way it's shaped. OK, good, good example for people to okay. think of. But vomiting, conversely, is different and much more active. OK, it may cause muscles to contract and the whole body to be real tense. Okay. So when a dog vomits, the food or object is typically coming up from the tummy or the upper small intestine. You will likely hear the dog retching and see food that is undigested or partially digested, along with clear liquid if it's from the stomach or yellow or green liquid kind of bilish if it is from the small intestine. Do you remember that time when Hannah, I wasn't there, but do you remember that time Hannah vomited in the living room when you and Carlos and Danielle were eating dinner? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't see it, but when she would vomit, you could tell it wasn't regurgitation. It was coming up because it was always like a yellow liquid or kind of gross. Made the rest of the dinner very tasty. Yes. (laughs) It smelled so bad. 
Okay. So what are the causes of regurgitation uh, and vomiting? Well, some of the more common causes for regurgitation are overeating, eating too quickly, anxiety over excitement, a dilated esophagus that does not effectively move food to the tummy, the breed of the dog. While regurgitation can occur for any dog, it is more common in breeds such as the Lab, the German Shepherd, Great Dane, and Newfoundlands. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I can see, I can see that. And so, and what about vomiting? What are some of the causes? Some of the most common causes of dog vomit is consuming garbage, fatty foods, and table scraps. That's par for your day, right? Every single day you see that. Yeah, every day. Okay. Maybe ingesting bones, rubber balls, stones, hair, sticks, and other foreign objects. Viral infections such as distemper, parvo, and corona. Even think of diabetes, cancer, and maybe stomach ulcers. Ingesting poisons like rat poison, antifreeze, pesticides, or household drugs like acetophenamines and aspirin. Motion sickness, stress, excessive excitement, or anxiety. Okay, so here's the big question. Really, like, when should you be concerned? Usually when other signs are present, too. Okay, that makes sense. Like Like, what? Like, if your dog has not only thrown up, but is also acting strangely, such as sleeping more than usual, refusing to eat, or maybe having diarrhea. Also, if there are signs of blood, if you see blood in the vomit, or if your dog is throwing up something that looks like coffee grounds, that's dried blood. Oh, okay. The blood can be a sign of more of a serious problem, such as a gastric ulcer, or a dog was eating a sharp foreign object, such as a bone or toy. And if your dog won't stop vomiting while occasionally throwing up, it isn't unusual. If a, if a dog throws up routinely or excessively, that means you need to consult with your vet. Yeah. Okay. So what will your vet do? Your vet will first want to determine what caused your dog to regurgitate or vomit and how it affected the dog. It will be helpful to give the vet a sample of the vomit for them to identify what foreign material might be in the sample if you can collect one. Stick it in a plastic bag, I guess. Yep. Whether it is vomit or regurgitation, your vet will likely check first to make sure there is no obstruction in your dog's throat, digestive tract, such as a sock, bone, or other foreign objects. A sock can cost you a lot of money. Yes, it can. So if your vet determines the problem is frequent or sudden onset regurgitation, he or she, (laughs) mostly she's these days, will look for issues related to the esophagus or the stomach. They might also check for accidental poisoning, cancer, gastric reflux, or an enlarged esophagus. Think of people having these too, huh? Sure. So if the problem is unexplained vomiting, the most immediate things to check for are infections and dehydration. Your vet will also likely evaluate your dog's stomach and small intestine and test for diseases like kidney failure, diabetes, liver disease, and pancreatitis. So this sounds like it can be costly. Yes, it sure can. But it is important to note a dog who throws up is not necessarily ill or in need of immediate veterinary attention. But if you see signs that make you believe something might be seriously wrong, call your vet. Determine what the problem is and how to solve it. Okay, but there are some things like you can really do at home, right? 
if your vet determines what causes your dog to vomit and says that at home care is sufficient for your pooch, you'll want to know how to treat him and, and alleviate the symptoms. Withhold food for a few hours. Make sure to consult your veterinarian on how long to do that at first. However, water should never be withheld from a pet with certain health conditions. It's a good idea to talk to your vet before withholding fluids from your dog. With persistent vomiting, dehydration can become a real cause for concern, which is why fluids are so important. Once vomiting stops, introduce a bland, low-fat food and feed your dog small amounts, say three to six times daily, for a few days. Gradually increase the amount of food and decrease the feedings as you transition the dog to normal food. If your vet asks you to withhold water, reintroduce it slowly in small amounts. If you determine your dog is throwing up because he is eating too fast, one solution might be one of those puzzle feeders, mm -hmm. which forces dogs to eat slower as they work to obtain food or just elevate the food. Wow. That's a lot to think about. I mean, really. Whew. That's all the flex facts for the week. Well, I didn't even ask the question. I know, but I'm already saying that. <laughs> well, stick around, everyone. More of the pet buzz very soon, but you can't wait for my like of the week. Also, Steve Haskin talks trackside news. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. You know you're listening to the best in pet talk radio. This is the pet buzz. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. So trainers will tell you that all dogs need jobs, but this particular one dog that I'm gonna talk about found a job that pays. Well, this big lug of a dog named Ethan, he's a kind of brindly, mastiff-looking dog, was found emaciated and abandoned in a parking lot at the Kentucky Humane Society in January. But things changed so rapidly for all of us, and even this big lug of a dog named Ethan. Well, guess what? He is now the new chief tasting officer for Bush Beer Dog Brew. So Bush launched this dog brew last summer. It was an instant hit selling out on the first day it was released. It's sold in four pack. It's non-alcoholic. It's made with pork, butt, vegetables, basil, mint, turmeric, and ginger. So according to the Bush Facebook page, in less than four months, Ethan 
has come from being, check this out, someone's burden, someone's afterthought, and now not only survived, but has thrived and is now being recognized on a national level. And, you know, you're not going to believe this, but in addition to having this fancy job title as part of his new job, Ethan gets a $20,000 salary, health care, that means pet insurance, and stock options, as well as free dog brew. As for the qualifications that he had that, you know, that he beat other dogs out, Bush said that Ethan possessed a refined palate, an outstanding sense of smell, and is a very good boy. So go, Ethan, and we look forward to seeing more of you in the news. The Triple Crown is coming to an end on June 5th with the Belmont Stakes, but just like last year and the year before, there has been some rough riding as of late. So joining us to talk about what's up in horse racing is notable author and journalist Steve Haskin from Secretariat.com. Steve, you're a pal. You're always wonderful for joining us and telling us about the Triple Crown. We appreciate your visiting with us, with us and thanks for joining us today. See, I got to tell you right off the bat, I like to use the word opining because I think of Steve is just sharing his opinions. He does that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like to think it's opinion based on fact and reality. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about dream horse racing. So, okay, so let's just recap some facts. So, Steve, Sunday morning after Derby Day, Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert announced during a press conference at Churchill Downs that his Derby-winning horse, Medina Spirit, tested positive for... Is it betamethasone? Betamethasone, thanks, Steve, an inflammatory drug. So Baffert said post-race tests following Medina's spirit um, in the May 1st Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs revealed that there were 21 picograms of the anti-inflammatory drug. So I guess follow-up with Kentucky Horse Racing said they're going to do a second positive test, a split test, you know, to find out if the horse is going to be disqualified. So here's my two-part question. So, Steve, has a horse ever been disqualified for an illegal substance? And when can we expect the results, the test results, of Medina Spirit split sample test? Okay, first, let it be known that benamethasone could be uh, given to a horse in several different ways. Uh, most of the time, it's, it's injected into the joint. Just again, like as an anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. and it's it's perfectly legal as long as it's out of the horse's system by a particular time. That is so. Once that drug wears out, you have to allow that amount of time so it's not in the horse's system by race day. Okay. Bafford had first claimed that he didn't give the horse that, and then he claimed that he was given an ointment right after the Santa Anita Derby, which was four weeks before the Kentucky Derby. And then he found out after this came out that there was better methasone in the ointment, which is kind of weird only because you have to look at what you're giving a horse, number one. Sure. Anything, any, listen, anything can, anything can happen, and it's, perfect, you know, it's perfectly feasible that it was from an ointment that was given to the horse because of a skin rash, which he did have. You could see it for the freakness. You could see the rash was still there. Mm-hmm. but. He was given better methasone right afterwards. It's number one, it shouldn't have been there. Number two, I don't know if she was supposed to give that for four weeks or do you give it right up? It was given up until the day before the race. And the last part of what I'm trying to say 
is that right on the box in big letters it says betamethasone. There's only like two ingredients. One of them is betamethasone, which is a steroid which ha- cannot be in a horse's system. So number one, any trainer has to look to see what he's giving a horse, especially a trainer who's had several suspensions. And the veterinarian is supposed to tell him, look, I'm giving you this horse, but make sure it's out of his system because it's a steroid, and if it comes a positive, you know, you're, you're in trouble. So I don't understand any of that. Plus, if, if, if you're on a prescribed drug by a veterinarian, it's supposed to be submitted to a regulatory board so they know everything the horse is on. So why was it? Was it not? There's just so many questions here that you just don't know what's going on anymore. Anyway, just to get that out of the way, to get back to your uh, your questions, uh, horses have been disqualified all the time for illegal substances. I mean, we've seen it, you know, probably every every month or so there's a horse that's disqualified for an illegal substance. The most famous one in recent times was Dancer's Image, when he was found with a positive for phenylbutazone, also known as butazolatin, also known as bute, which was illegal in Kentucky. And the owner fought it for five years. It cost him at the time, it's a lot of money, $250,000 in legal fees. And it went back and forth, and the owner of uh, the runner-up was threatening never to run a horse again. That's the owner of Calumet Farm. Anyway, to make a long story short, they upheld the disqualification. The uh, dancer's image was disqualified from the Kentucky Derby, just as Medina Spirit most likely will be. And then less than a year later, Kentucky uh, legalized Budazolatin. So that's that's the craziness that goes on in uh, in horse racing. So uh, yes, I mean, horses are disqualified all the time for legal substances. There's class A, class B, class C, or you can call it one, two, three. You know, depending on its potency and whether it's a performance enhancer. Um, and as far as the results, it's not it's not up to uh, it's not up to, to Kentucky. It's it, it's up, once once the horses are positive, it's up to the owner of the horse to ask for a split sample to be taken. It's not something that's normally done. So it's strictly up to the owner to send it in to get that split sample. And the last we heard, they haven't even sent it in yet. And it takes weeks and weeks to do it. Wow. So I don't like the fact that it's hanging around for that long. Anything can happen to it. Everything can get compromised. Uh, sure. It can get contaminated in some different ways. So, you know, people think, all right, we've automatic, you get in for a split sample. But that's not the way it works. The, the owner is informed, or the trainer is informed, that your horse had a, 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 um, a positive. And if they want, they can ask for a split sample. And then, and then to see what happens after that. So it's not, it's not up to the Kentucky Commission or, or anybody. It's only up to the uh, owner. But it's... They're still waiting. They still, they still haven't even sent it in yet. So, you know, of course, you're looking at uh, at Bob Baffert. But, you know, listen, I don't know how people are going to look at his horses from now on. There are a lot of people that still, you know, love Baffert, but there are an awful lot of people that, I hate to use the word hate, you know, bad, the Baffert haters, the so-and-so haters. You know what? There are haters everywhere. don't like him. It's just they're, they're haters everywhere. And you know what? We think, you know, we think that Bob Baffert is, is a great trainer, but, you know, you can be a great trainer, but you have to cover your T's and dot your I's. And on that note, Steve, we always love having you here. You're one of our favorite guests. We wish you could talk to you almost well, every week you. about something. 
<laughs> Thank you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be you have to be forced into it, right? Well, thank you both for having me on. Like I said, always a great interview with Steve Haskin. For more information about Steve and his horse racing writing, check out secretariat.com. Uh, and don't miss the Belmont Stakes on Saturday, June 5th. The race is televised live on NBC beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Meanwhile, watch the Belmont Stakes post positions and morning line odds to be announced live from New York on Wednesday, June 2nd, also on NBC. So that's always really helpful. You can get a look at the trainers, get get an idea of what the horses are, kind of get your mojo on in terms of gambling, knowing post positions. So after the commercial, let's talk the annual Westminster Kennel Club dog show. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it all the time. We're urban. Suburban. And, and country. country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. One of the segments I always, I really like is we love to talk about global pet news here. We have, you know, the show is an international show. We have people from all over the world, but you know, I don't know if you recall, uh, but we talked with Claire Guest. She's the CEO of the Medical Detection Dogs in the UK uh, about the dogs learning to sniff out coronavirus. Well, their study is complete, and it seems that sniffer dog training uh, used smelly socks worn by people infected with uh, SARS or COVID-19. Uh, and we could see these dogs really soon being used at airports or mass gathering venues to, uh, to pick up the corona odor of COVID-19 infected people. That's what was announced by British scientists last Monday. So working in teams of two, the COVID trained dogs could screen a line of several hundred people coming off a plane within a half an hour, for example, and detect up to 94.3% sensitivity to those infected. That's what the scientists say. So presenting results of an early stage study, which involved about 3,500 odor samples donated in the form of unwashed socks or T-shirts worn by members of the public and healthcare workers, the researchers said the dogs were even able to sniff out asymptomatic or mild COVID-19 cases, as well as cases caused by mutant virus that emerged in the UK late last year. Experts believe that dogs could be a great way to screen a large number of people quickly, like I said, 
not as costly as other measures, but it will really help prevent COVID-19 from being reintroduced into the UK. So I think, or any other country. And just so you know, other pilot programs like this are happening in Finland, Germany, Chile, and elsewhere. So like I said, look for these COVID trained sniffer dogs uh, at the airport. I'm going to actually put a video up of these COVID uh, sniffing dogs on our social media channels so you can see them sniffing dog masks. It's pretty cool what they do, what, what, how they give the handler the tell. So COVID has changed so many things, especially when it comes to some of our most beloved and iconic U.S. events, including the annual Westminster Kennel Club dog show. So today we are speaking with Gail miller Beischer, the director of communications and one of the co-hosts of the 145th Westminster Annual Dog Show. Gail, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. Well, thanks for having me. Always happy to be here. So, Gail, can you tell us... uh the 2021 dates of the dog show and it's and talk about its new temporary location. Sure. So just like everything in 2020, our dog show planning was really um, challenged. And, you know, we were very fortunate in 2020 to be able to have our dog show in February. And then, of course, in March, the whole world shut down. And so um, we spent the rest of the year trying to plan for all scenarios because, you know, no one knew exactly what was going to happen. So we're just really thrilled that we're even having a dog show this year. Um, Things are opening up a little bit, and that's awesome. But in the interim, we had to go ahead and make our plans. And our plan was to move the dog show outside of Manhattan. And that's for the first time in 145 years that the show won't be held in Manhattan. And so it's it's a historic year for us, but we are excited with our new home, which is the Lynnhurst Estate in Terrytown, New York which isn't that far from the city, but also um, allows us to be outside, uh, which the dogs I'm sure will love. And then uh, we're right next to the Hudson River. It's a beautiful landscape. And the estate is no stranger to dog shows. For the 30 years, other dog shows were held there. And in fact, the owners of the Lyndhurst estate, the Gould family, actually uh, showed dogs at Westminster in the late 1800s and early 1900s. You know, our listeners really want to watch this, listen to it, watch it, enjoy it. So how can they tune in and enjoy the show? Well, that's a great question. You know, more people will be watching from home this year because we are not having spectators. And so um, and we're having very restricted entry, even though things are starting to open up a little in New York State. But the television coverage and the online streaming coverage will be as robust as ever. We always stream all of the breed rings live um, every year. So that will be continued. So you can watch if you want to just watch a specific breed like F and Pinchers, you can tune in and and watch that on WestminsterKennelClub.org. Or you can also tune in to FS2 our FS1 on uh, during the day. We have live coverage, uh, select live coverage from one to four on Saturday, June the 12th, or on Ju- and June 13th, it's from 1.30 to four o'clock, we have select breed judging um, live as well. And then of course, nighttime is the group judging. The dogs that have advanced then go on to the group judging. And this year on Sunday, for the second half of the groups and best in show will be on Fox. And we're very excited to to break away for best in show. Generally, we're on FS1. 
And but this year it will be on the larger network. And uh, June has allowed us to do that, having our show in the summertime. So we're really excited about that. And then, of course, agility. I'm sure you're an agility fan. That kicks off all of Westminster weekend. And that is June uh, the 11th. And that will be, uh, again, streaming on our website, westminsterkennelclub.org. And then, of course, the um, finals will be on Big Fox as well. We call it Big Fox, but the network of Fox on Saturday. There are a lot of options, whether it's the Fox app or you go and watch the breeds during the day. So I wanted to bring that up right away because, you know, some people are disappointed that they can't go this year, but they can still participate in such a great show. Okay. So you kind of answered one of my questions, Gail. I was curious about the New York State uh, COVID regulations. We know that they've ex- uh, they've impacted Westminster, obviously, change of venue. They're moving upstate. There's no spectators this year, even at beautiful Lindenhurst, which is unfortunate. And I also know there are no vendors. But um, you started talking about the size of the show. How many dogs are participating? So it's the same as last year. We have a limited entry of 2,500 dogs in confirmation. And so that's the same. And, you know, we're, the days, there's two days, Saturday and Sunday. So they'll be split up um, by the groups. I think it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. I can't I can't wait for it. I mean, we want to see it every year. If we're not there present to physically be there, we want to see it. And, you know, it's really nice to the poster. You know, I collect Westminster posters because mm-hmm. there's a huge collection in the uh, in the prop room. Some of them are not even open, but there's a beautiful one right on the wall here in the studio. Um, what's nice is the poster is reflective of the fact that the show is not in New York. I got you. Yeah. So I actually I ordered you one. But we're happy to have you on and uh, we want to wish you best of luck with the show, not only as your director of communications, but in your co-hosting duties. So we will look forward to seeing you. And we should enjoy it this year. I know it's different. We look forward to next year when it's back in Madison Square Garden. But let's really enjoy it this year. We were excited to be back, actually. We see it as a celebration because, you know, most dog shows were canceled last year. So we're, we're excited to be back. And I got dog show party plans okay. that I will reveal okay. in the next week or so. Okay. Well, everyone, that was Gail miller your Director of Communications and one of the co-hosts of the 145th Westminster Annual Dog Show, giving us an introduction to the show and discussing how COVID has affected the iconic dog show in 2021. So don't forget to watch the show. So for more information, including live streaming and Fox coverage, visit WestminsterKennelClub.org. And now it's time for the wrap. It's always too soon to wrap the show. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Before we go, let's give you a preview of next week's show. Guess what we're going to talk about next week? Let me think that time maybe the westminster kennel club that's right we're gonna have a great show we're gonna be talking about breeds of dog how dogs how new breeds can form we're gonna talk about diversity in the dog world and iconic dog breeds so i think it's gonna and also great canine health and the purebred dog world because i think that's important Special thanks to our guests, Wesley Moore, Steve Haskins, and Gail Miller-Beischer. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Don't forget, if you buy EpiPet products using the Pet Buzz as your code, you'll receive 25% off on all the great products, including shampoos, skin and coat sprays, sunscreen, 
ear cleaner and supplements for your dogs and cats. But if you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it next week on our show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the Lynx podcast and Monday morning. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. For the full-length, unedited video versions of all of our interviews, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet-related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.